Gracious God, thank you for bringing us safely to a new week. As we study Jeremiah chapters 2 and 3, we pray that you would speak a fresh word into our life and help us to know what it means to be your people. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth. Your love is the bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest, and all who ate of it were held guilty. Disaster came upon them, says the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your ancestors find in me that they went far from me? and went after worthless things and became worthless themselves. They did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that no one passes through where no one lives. I brought you into a plentiful land to eat its fruits and its good things, but when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handled the law did not know me. The rulers transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, says the Lord. For my people have committed two evils, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and dug out cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that can hold no water. Have you not brought this upon yourself by forsaking the Lord your God while he led you in the way? What then do you gain by going to Egypt to drink the waters of the Nile? Or what do you gain by going to Assyria to drink the waters of the Euphrates? Your wickedness will punish you and your apostasies will convict you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, says the Lord God of hosts. For long ago you broke your yoke and burst your bonds and you said, I will not serve. On every high hill and under every green tree, you sprawled and played the whore. Yet I planted you as a choice vine from the purest stock. How then did you turn degenerate and become a wild vine? Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, says the Lord. Can a girl forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me, days without number. How well you direct your course to seek lovers, so that even to wicked women you have taught your ways. Also on your skirts is found the lifeblood of the innocent poor, though you did not catch them breaking in. Yet in spite of all these things, you say, I am innocent. Surely his anger has turned from me. Now I am bringing you to judgment for saying, I have not sinned. Then the Lord said to me, faithless Israel has shown herself less guilty than false Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, return faithless Israel, says the Lord. 
I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, says the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you have rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among strangers under every green tree and have not obeyed my voice, says the Lord. Return, O faithless children, says the Lord, for I am your master and I will take you one from a city and two from a family and I will bring you to Zion. I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And when you have multiplied and increased in the land, in those days, says, says the Lord, there shall, they shall no longer say the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed, nor shall another one be made. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all nations shall gather to it, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem. And they shall no longer stubbornly follow their own evil will. All right. And because I always like to include a passage from the New Testament, just so we can see how Jeremiah would have been alive for Jesus and the gospel writers. Uh, what came to mind was Jesus's lament over Jerusalem and his call for the city to repent in Matthew 23. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and yet you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And so this deep desire on the part of God to gather his children like a mother hen and the unwillingness of the people to be gathered, the unwillingness to repent and the desolation, the house being left desolate as a result. This is exactly what's happening in the book of Jeremiah uh, hundreds of years earlier. And so Jeremiah too begins with the word of the Lord coming to Jeremiah. I'm not going to hit this point every time, but again, in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew, that word is logos, which for the author of John's gospel is the second word, person of the Trinity. Uh, the, the logos, the word becomes flesh, dwells among us. So this word that comes to Jeremiah is the same word that brings creation into being in the book of Genesis. And uh, the church fathers said, well, this word is none other than the son of God veiled, right? So it is God coming to Jeremiah to give this message. And this message begins with the Lord remembering the devotion of Israel's youth, their love as a bride. And this image of being a bride is a big motif in scripture. It's going to be contrasted with this difficult imagery of them playing the whore, playing the harlot. Um, this is not uh, content I'd offer up in a Sunday sermon, but because we're, you know, diving into Jeremiah, that is the accusation that they are prostituting themselves by trusting in foreign gods and trusting in foreign nations. And this idea of being a prostitute or a harlot, uh, which is Jeremiah's language, is contrasted with what they're supposed to be, which is the bride. And that image is carried over into the New Testament with 
the church being the bride of Christ with the marriage between heaven and earth that takes place in the book of Revelation. But all that is introduced much earlier in the Old Testament, and that language is prominent in the book of Jeremiah. And God remembers that devotion. And I use the word remember because God's remembering is going to be contrasted with Israel's tendency to forget. God is always telling Israel to remember, remember that I'm the one who took you out of the land of Egypt. Remember that I'm the one who saved you. Why did God give uh, the Israelites the Passover uh, to celebrate year after year? It's so that they remember that they didn't forget. And so in Old Testament theology, the act of forgetting or the failure to remember is always tied with idolatry and walking away from the covenant. And that carries over into our tradition today. What do we do every time we have Eucharist? Why do I say the same words week after week after week? Why don't I make up new words? Because we're there not to learn. We're there to remember Christ has died. Uh, Christ has risen. Christ will come again. We say the same thing because we're trying to remember um, and God remembers how they followed him in the wilderness, how they were holy to the Lord, the first fruits of the harvest. This idea of being the first fruits, again, is going to be a wonderful biblical motif. Uh, Paul will say that Christ is the first fruits of those who have risen from the dead. We'll have this idea of the Holy Spirit producing fruit in the lives of those who trust in God. Um, the Feast of Pentecost, uh, prior to it becoming a Christian uh, feast of the new uh, uh, of the Holy Spirit coming down. Part of this was when you brought the first fruits of your harvest to the temple. And the idea is that Israel was to be the first fruits of the world that knew, loved, and glorified God that what started with God calling the people of Israel was to expand beyond the people of Israel. And um, this is all over the Old Testament. We think about that verse from Isaiah where God says, I have given you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. In other words, you're the first fruits, but it's going to spread to every people, tongue, tribe, and nation. And so part of God's lament here is that the very people who were to expand the reach of God's love and knowledge to the whole world have forsaken him. And so God's grief is really twofold. On the one hand, he's upset that his own people have forsaken him, right? That's painful enough for God because God is love. But there's also like a really practical piece here. And that God chose Israel in order to play this really important role uh, in God's love and God's knowledge expanding to all the peoples of the earth. And so if Israel fails, the larger project fails. And so both of those complaints are going to be found um, um, in Jeremiah's critique uh, of the people of Judah and Israel. And again, that critique, it centers first on idolatry, 
In verse five, they went after worthless things and became worthless themselves. I think that there is a good biblical principle to be found here, which is that we become like that which we worship. Basically, whatever we give ourselves to shapes us. Um, the Hebrew word worthless, we had some good conversation about it on Sunday. I looked up the etymology of the word. It's not uh, directly the same word as glory. So you can't translate this as glory less, but it's tied uh, etymologically to the Hebrew word translated glory. The reason that's important is because God wants to be glorified. The word glory has to do with weight. It has to do with substance. It has to do with uh, something that's awesome and real. And to say that God has glory is to say that God has worth, that God has substance, that God has weight. Uh, and to say that we're made in God's image, right? You and I are created in God's image means that we have our own glory, that we have our own substance, our own weight by virtue of the one in whose image we are created. And so whenever the Bible talks about, you know, pursuing worthless things and becoming worthless, part of the subtext in Hebrew is that not only are we not glorifying God, but we're losing something of our own glory in the process. Um, this idea of becoming worthless Part of Jeremiah's lament is not just what the people are doing, but who they are becoming as they give themselves over to these idols. And uh, I think that we can take this out of its historical moment and we can look at our own lives and we can ask the question, what do we give ourselves to? What is it that we give ourselves to? Uh, if we you know, give ourselves to power and fame, what do we become as a result of that? This verse raises some of those questions, I think. Uh, and the worthless thing in particular that Jeremiah is lamenting is their worship of Baal. In verse eight, Baal was a, a god that was popular amongst the surrounding nations at the times. And uh, the people, you know, they're not so sure about worshiping Yahweh anymore. They might want to try and worship Baal. Maybe Baal can help them out. And so whenever God says, be appalled, O heavens, be shocked, be utterly desolate, um, my people have forsaken me. I think that what is being magnified is that here's God who has called these people to himself, who has given them this very special mission to be a light to the nations. Um, God has given them the law. God has brought them to a promised land. Um, from God's end, God has done everything that could possibly um, be imagined to show his people goodness and love. And they say, well, let's see what Baal has to offer. And so Jeremiah says, be appalled at this, be shocked. This is serious business. My people have forsaken me. I am the fountain of living water. And as we think about New Testament connections, we think about the Gospel of John and Jesus saying that he is living water, that he gives living water, that image of 
living water has its origin in the book of Jeremiah. Um, the people have dug out cisterns for themselves. That Hebrew word can also be translated as well. So to also connect this to the gospel of John and some of Johannine theology, uh, in, in John chapter four, where does Jesus meet this woman of Samaritan, uh, this Samaritan woman, uh, and tell her he can provide living water? It's at a well. Um, uh, where uh, does Isaac meet Rebecca? right? This, this image of a marriage, right? Because in the background of Jeremiah is, will there be a marriage between God and his people, or will the people continue to commit adultery, right? So the idea of a well is where Isaac meets Rebecca. It's a place where a marriage can come together. Um, but here the people are just digging out little wells for themselves, uh, crack cisterns that can hold no water, and this raises the question for us, where do we dig out little wells for ourselves? Uh, where do we look for water ourselves rather than receiving the living water that Jesus can offer? In verse 17, Jeremiah asks, have you not brought this upon yourself? Have you not brought this upon yourself? This is important because Jeremiah is not saying you've hurt God's feelings and so he is now uh, going to punish you. You know, he's going to inflict pain upon you because you've inflicted pain upon him. This is not punishment. This is God allowing the choices people have made and the consequences of those choices to be experienced. You know, Paul says in Galatians, uh, do not be mocked for we reap whatever we sow. And that's true in life. We reap what we sow. Um, not because God isn't good, but rather because God is good. God allows us our freedom. God allows us to make choices. And sometimes we make really bad choices and we have to experience the consequence of those bad choices. And essentially what Jeremiah is saying to the people is, you really have brought this upon yourself. Whenever you turn away from the very source of your life, you're going to experience death. And, and so part of his ministry as a prophet is to say, we have to reckon with what's happening here. Like, this is going to happen. Um, the people from the north are coming, the Babylonians. We'll get there a little bit later on in the book. But Sanity starts with you looking in the mirror and saying, I brought this upon myself, not in a, a shaming way, but in a truthful way. And, you know, I read this and what it, you know, brings up for me is a question, <laughs> you know, where do I need to look in the mirror and say, you know, John, you brought this upon yourself, not as a way of punishing myself, but as a way of being sane, as a way of telling the truth, because until we can do that, repentance is really difficult. In verse 18, Jeremiah asks, what do you gain by going to Egypt? What do you gain by drinking waters of the Nile, uh, by going to Assyria or the Euphrates? And so um, just a little bit of his history behind this. So one of the things that's going to be revealed in Jeremiah is that the people are trusting in literally everything but God. And so they're trusting in Baal. They're trusting in idols. Uh, later on, we're going to find out that they're trusting in the temple and in rituals. 
But here, it seems they're also thinking about trusting in other nations, forming a military alliance with Egypt and Assyria. And that might not seem like a very big deal, you know, uh, to you. Uh, If, you know, we think Canada is going to attack us from the north and we go and form a partnership with Mexico to have a stronger army to you know, stave off the Canadian attack. That seems like just good military policy. But, you know, remember, God called Israel to be holy and said, I want to be your king. I'm going to be your king, says God, and you're going to follow the law and I'm going to protect you. And of course, the people said, okay, well, um, that sounds nice, but the other nations have a king, so can we have our own king? And God really wasn't crazy about this idea. Samuel wasn't crazy about this idea, but finally God gave in. And and God said, in making this choice, you are actually rejecting me because I want to be your king, but I'll give in. This is what you want. And so the people had their own king. Well, now they're saying, well, maybe we can also trust in a foreign king as well. And so there's a little bit of a slippery slope where the people are gradually moving away from the very thing that God wanted to create, where there's these set-apart people and God is their king. In verse 20, God says, long ago you broke your yoke and burst your bonds, and you said, I will not serve. And this brings to mind Jesus's words in Matthew, where he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Uh, A yoke in an agrarian society, this was Uh, something an animal would be given to shoulder a load. Um, You know, an oxen would have a yoke that could help them do their work. And I think the idea of scripture is that, and certainly the New Testament, is that we all have a yoke, right? We all need something to shoulder the weight of the world. Um, Um. you know, rabbis would have a yoke and, and Jesus said, my yoke is easy. But but basically the idea is that we all need something like that animal to help us with the work of life. Why not let God give us the right yoke to carry it, right? Because if we don't get it from God, we're going to get it from someone else. And God basically says, I gave you the yoke. You broke it. You said, I want nothing to do with this. Instead, um, you just, you know, played the whore to use Jeremiah's language under every green tree. And in the ancient Near East, green trees were known for fertility rituals. And so there's some idolatry being implied here. Um, God says, I planted you as a choice vine. Again, Israel as the vine, uh, as, um, something that needs to be tended, right? A vine needs to be tended, cared for, and um, that's exactly what's not happening. Um, uh, And Jesus will pick this up in the Gospel of John when he says, I am the vine, you're the branches, so just abide in me. Jesus will step in and say in a way that's true beyond mere archetypes, but he'll say, I am faithful Israel, right? I am the embodiment of the one God chose to keep the covenant. So just stay connected to me. But the idea originally was that these people would be the vine. And we can really play with that imagery of the vine 
Uh, we had some great conversations on Sunday about um, vines and and grapes and wine and how wine is more abundant than water and how it connects with this wedding motif. So there's endless things we can do with this idea of our vocation is to be a vine. But what does God say? You turned degenerate, you became a wild vine. Though you wash yourself with soap, the stain of your guilt is before me. And I think the biblical principle here is that we can't cleanse ourselves. We can't wash ourselves. Um, in verse 34, there's this important piece about the lifeblood of the innocent poor being found on the people. Um, this is not the dominant theme of Jeremiah, but it is consistent that part of their idolatry is that they don't take care of the poor. And anyone who's read the Old Testament and understands the covenant theology of the Old Testament knows that caring for the poor is essential. They're not doing it. And they're saying, verse 35, I am innocent. And so part of what Jeremiah is trying to get them to do, right, and saying you brought this upon yourselves is to say, I'm not innocent. We're not innocent. And you know, so so Jeremiah's language, it's not meant to be dark or to make the people feel bad. He's trying to get through. This is a group of people insisting on their righteousness, insisting on their innocence, when in reality, they're trusting in foreign gods, they're trusting in foreign nations, and they are persecuting the poor. And so God says, return, just come on back, return. The point was made on Sunday that there were some echoes of the parable of the prodigal son. And God says, return for I am merciful. I'm not going to be angry forever. I'm merciful. So come on home. And it's easy to lose that message in Jeremiah because it, it often feels like there's so much bad news. But, and I will say the bad news outweighs the good news, but that's only because of like what Jeremiah is trying to communicate. But the overarching message is one of hope. And there's a very clear vision of God's mercy for his people. Um, I am your master in verse 14. Uh, I highlight that word because the Hebrew word translated master is very close to the name of the pagan deity Baal. That's one of those things that's lost in translation. Um, it's a word that is connected with ownership, lordship, control. Um, and so, again, a little bit of a wordplay that's lost in English. You know, God's basically saying, don't worship Baal because I am your Baal, right? Don't worship a different master. I am your master. But there's a there's a subtle wordplay I don't want us to miss here. Basically, the Lord is saying, I am the only God worthy of your allegiance. And then finally, this is so beautiful. I will give you shepherds after my own heart. I will give you shepherds after my own heart. Two things I want to point out. One is the emphasis on the heart. Jeremiah is going to be a prophet who is concerned not just with the people's behavior, but rather with where their heart is. Is their heart being transformed. In Jeremiah 31, God's going to promise to give them a new heart. But then this idea of the shepherd, the good shepherd, the shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep, the shepherd that has the heart of God, 
Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. My shepherd is with me, right? Who is this shepherd? That's one of those questions that the New Testament asks. And as Christians, we have a clear answer to it. But the promise of a shepherd with God's own heart is going to be central to God fulfilling his promise to save the people.